Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Jocelyn Brown, sitting in for Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about Heat Rock, you know, an album that burns its way into our collective memory. And today, we are winding the clock back to 1972 to revisit the cult classic self-titled album by Brazil's Arthur Veracay. In 72, Veracay, a native of Rio de Janeiro, entered into a studio and recorded what was to be his debut LP. He was still in his mid-20s, but had already become a prominent producer, arranger, and composer for an emergent wave of Brazilian artists still under the sway of the Tropicalia movement of the late 60s. Think Ivan Lins, Gal Costa, Jorge Ben, and dozens of others. When Veracay emerged from these sessions with a self-titled album ready to share, there was every reason to imagine that the public would embrace his work as much as they did the artist he worked with. They did not. The eponymous Arthur Verakai LP was a commercial and critical flop. Verakai stayed working in the music industry, especially composing music for advertising, but he stopped making his own music, and the album quickly faded into the record dustbin of history for roughly the next 30 years. That is, into the early 2000s, when a few choice tastemakers, including LA's own cut chemist and Madlib, rediscovered it and began singing its praises. The LP got its first reissue in 2003 on Love and Hate Records, and since then it's been reissued over a dozen times more. As an Angelino, I'm proud to say that Verakai's first time performing the album live ever happened to be here in LA as part of the Timeless series in 2009 put together by our friends at Mochilla, B-plus, and Eric Coleman. In fact, I was just texting with B this morning, and he let me know that they are releasing a vinyl version of the concert taping later this year. So, very good timing. In any case, in all that time since the show, the cult of Verakai has only continued to grow. Some albums are heat rocks right from jump, like firecrackers exploding in the sky. This one had the slowest of slow burns, but nearly 50 years later, the embers of its impact continue to smolder. Molhado de suor e sal De crime e de paixão Feito um animal Que quer fugir Seja como for É sempre igual a ronda Arthur Verica's self-titled debut released in 1972 was the album pick of our guest today, Joshua Abrams. Joshua is a talented multi-instrumentalist, composer, arranger, and band leader. A Philly native, Joshua was a founding member of the Square Roots, now known to most of us as the Roots. He parted amicably from the group in the mid-90s to move to Chicago, where he began collaborating in earnest with many members of the city's independent music community. At present, Joshua leads his band, Natural Information Society. When they're not touring internationally, they're often in the process of recording for respected experimental label Aramite Records. With compositions described by the New York Times journalist Ben Ratliff as complex and shimmering, pressings of their releases have sold out in their entirety fairly quickly. Joshua has appeared on more than 100 recordings, collaborating with such artists as the late Fred Anderson, Nicole Mitchell, Montana Roberts, 
Bonnie Prince Billy, and others. He has scored many feature films, among them The Trials of Muhammad Ali and The Interrupters with director Steve James. We were both fortunate to work together on the television series America to Me, along with music supervisor Don Sutter Mado. Before any of this, however, Joshua and I grew to know one another best playing records together for several years during a monthly residency at Danny's Tavern that we call the Peace Party with our friends Naomi Walker, Jeff Parker, and David Marquez. We all had more fun playing records together on a Monday night than we probably should have. Joshua Abrams, welcome to Heat Rocks. Great to be here. We're glad to have you. Let's talk about this album. It's it's a really wonderful work. What was your introduction to Arthur Verica's self-titled release? I first heard about it working on the recording of Savath and Savalas's record, Apropat, and right away it blew me away. There's so many nuances in the arranging and in the writing. Immediately, I picked up one of those reissues on Love and Hate. It's an amazing record. I believe that my first real degree of being aware of this album came as a result of you playing a track while we were in the middle of a DJ set at Danny's. And I remember whipping around really fast and asking you what it was. I feel like you might have played Nabucca de Sol, but I could be wrong about that. It could be that. It could be uh, Cabo Clo. At, at different times, I play many of the tracks depending on uh, just what the feeling was at Danny's. Yeah. I remember many people having a similar reaction. I know Jeff Parker, uh, we would play records a lot together, and he definitely did. Yeah, in the weeks that followed, I think that most of the people we knew were roaming all over Chicago looking for a copy of that album. Oliver, how about you? How do you remember your first encounter with this release? Well, to be really honest, even though I went to that Timeless concert I mentioned back in, in 2009 where Verakai was on hand to perform the album for the first time, I never actually sat with the album until this past week uh, prepping for our conversation right now. And my reasons for that are, are rather silly. And, and partly it's because of uh, you know some of the people in the music world that I respect the most um, absolutely love this album. And as a result of that, I always told myself that I wouldn't really listen to it unless I could make the proper time to, to sit with it. And somehow as a consequence of that, I just actually never ended up making that proper time until now. And so I'll say this much, and I don't think this is going to come as, as a earth shattering revelation, least of all to this the present company. I mean, this album completely exceeded every expectation that I had for it. And I knew, like I said, going in, I mean, my friends like Egon and Cut Chemist, B Plus, et cetera. I mean, they, they've all spoken, um, you know, greatly about this LP for years now. And despite like raising that level of expectations, it was just, it's so sublime. Um, it's an end to end burner. Um, there's not a single track on here that I would consider to be a filler or weak or anything along those lines. And so, uh, you know, I could say like, well, who knew it was this good? Except everyone I know knew <laughs> it was this good. It's just, I'm finally catching up uh, literally a decade plus later. And Joshua, my question for you goes back to this fact that it's, it feels like this is the kind of album that you know, people will label as kind of a connoisseur's choice or your favorite musician's favorite, you know, album, that kind of thing. Um, you know, so many people that I know, as I said, have built, practically built an altar to it. What do you think it is about Verakai and or this album that has attracted such an incredible cult following and reputation? And, and in particular, I'd just love to hear your thoughts on what, what makes this album a heat rock for you? It's an amazing confluence of, uh, 
musicianship and imagination, the capture, the production values of it, they're unorthodox. It doesn't have a, a really shiny polish on it. It has a rawness. And I think Verkai pushed that further. It's not slick, but it is so refined and sublime. That's a really unusual quality that is mm. beautiful. It's been so embraced by hip-hop culture and sample culture, in part because there's so many amazing four-bar chunks that are ready to be sampled. Absolutely, if, yeah. If someone has that uh, mentality. Yeah. There's that moment that, uh, I don't know if it was Ninth Wonder or Fonte sampled on Little Brother record, but I think that's they're singing the word sky, and you get the feeling of just ascending. I think the cult aspect is from, you know, the culture of digging right. lost records. Who knows why records that are amazing don't always reach the public in the moment. But that's also a beautiful thing that we've come to understand about recorded culture is that it has that possibility of the time capsule too, that it can, 30 years later, can resonate so strongly. Mm -hmm. If I can just add real quick to it, and especially because this was the first time I, I sat with the record, I think one of the things that really struck me about it, I, I said earlier about how I found it to be really, you know, there's not a flat track on here. Every song is amazing, but it's not like every song is the same. So whatever makes, you know, maybe track one A work or A one, I should say, you know, what makes the very next song after that and the very next song after that, it's not the identical details. And so no. it's not like you're getting this incredible formula just replicated, you know, what, 12, 13 times over. Rather, every look that Verakai gives you or every listen would be a bit more accurate way to say it. It's something, it's something different. And yet it makes sense within the logic of one person masterminded this. But again, it's not like he's taking the perfect song and just replicating it, Yes, you know, a dozen times. He's giving you 13 or 14 perfect songs in a row, each one different and distinct. And I think that is a really, really rare thing to happen. Uh, I keep saying 13. It's actually only 10 songs, which goes back to your point about how, yeah. how short it is. But it feels so expansive despite only being maybe half an hour. And, you know, all these all these ways, the affect of the album is so immense because each each extra minute you listen, it just grows and grows and grows. At least for, for me, that was my experience, just kind of sitting there and, be, and just being in awe of it. Jocelyn, how about your thoughts? I feel like every song on this album is its own little universe. And even within each song, you've got several other universes. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. the, the, one of the things that I consistently find myself doing every time I listen to this album is I'll get lost just in the train of musical thought relative to 
what's happening with one instrument, mm-hmm. um, bass lines in particular, strings in particular. And then I'm like, wait, I missed out on that horn section. I got to go back and listen to it again. And it's never a chore. It's never boring. It's not lost its excitement for me anytime that I, I get to go back and listen to any song from this album. And I feel like it's important to kind of somehow talk about how we came to know Arthur Verica's stateside. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier Love and Hate's early reissue. Um, shouts to our friends at Ubiquity and, and a second one by Mr. Bongo Worldwide. The efforts of B Plus and Mochilla in bringing the Timeless Concert series in 2009 and later Art Don't Sleep with Jazz Estamorto in 2019. There's a big influence on on producer world. And I know that this matters heavily relative to L.A. and Wax Poetics realm and other parts of the world. But I just want to give all of those individuals their props for sharing something so beautiful with the rest of us and and bringing it to the states. Yeah. And I don't want to give L.A. too much credit. I mean, I'm a homer for my city, but (laughs) it does really seem like a lot of the folks um, in the U.S. who helped to bring awareness to this for whatever reason, coincidental or not, I actually don't think it's coincidental, but I, but they all come from LA. So that includes to your point, Jocelyn, you know, ubiquity and love and hate being the first label to reissue it. Um, the role that people like Mad Lib uh, and B plus, uh, cut chemists, as we mentioned before. Um, and so for whatever reason, like they're the, the kind of brain trust of tastemakers in LA in particular, really, really glommed onto this and, and, played, I think, a pretty significant role in helping to expand awareness for an album that, um, you know, not to, not that that the price tag on it should is an indication of quality, but it is worth noting that original copies of this album, which are scarce to say the least, I mean, they regularly, easily can go for over $2,000. And again, it, it does have to do partly with the fact that these very prominent DJs and record collectors out there have put this on such a, a pedestal that it, it, it certainly helps to... Uh, have other people be curious. Why are these people, why, why is it such a big deal for these folks? And of course, I feel like this episode is only going to further, you know, burnish that kind of phenomenon um, just because of, of what we're saying here. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that's, that's really important to say about, you know, why I led into that is is that it fostered a very important exchange of imagination and ideas. And I think that not only happen in Los Angeles, but across the country once this came out and, and people started becoming aware of it and listening to it. And there's something really beautiful and special about that. And and I think that's another reason why I love this album as much as I do. You know, it says a lot that we're all fans of this album, but that none of us can really parse the lyrics as we're not well versed in Portuguese. It's it's not native, a native language to any of us. But there's a high level of connectivity inherent in that work, despite any language barrier that presents itself. Josh, what do you think enables this work to transcend and resonate with a listener beyond that language barrier? The voice is such a powerful instrument. And for me, I think singing transcends the the word. Not that the lyrics don't matter, they do, but they're almost uh, a vessel for carrying uh, energy, really. 
that's what I feel music does. People talk about expression uh, and emotion, and it, of course, that's all in there. But I think ultimately I boil it down to energy. This is a great example of that, that you don't need to know what is being sung to really connect with it. Jocelyn, thinking about your question, what what comes to my mind, and this goes back to the, some of the points that we've been talking about really around the music of it, the musicality of it is, and I apologize if this comes off as a bit of an academic answer, but I think that a lot of the Brazilian music styles that seem to have garnered the most success in the US, and so this obviously includes stuff like you know Bossa Nova, um, certainly on a more of a cult level elements of, of from the Tropicalia movement, is that these were all really syncretic styles that didn't just draw from influences across um, Brazil, which of course has an incredibly diverse musical culture, but 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 quite notably, um, we're in conversation with a lot of American pop styles, whether whether you're talking about jazz or soul or funk and etc. So I think in that sense, even if you don't speak Portuguese, a song off of this album like um, Presente Agregu, I think has an easier time sounding familiar to our ears. Um, because it does sound like it's in such, as I was saying a moment ago, such clear conversation with American soul and funk um, of the late 60s and early 1970s. Such an attention to percussion, the way the percussion sounds are recorded. Yeah. All, all the tones on the record are amazing. The bass, you know, the guitar. It's an incredible capture, especially considering the scale, like the the ambition of the work brings so many musicians together. Right. And to just do it in a day. There's also that British influence of the Beatles and mm-hmm. some of those recording approaches. I think Brazil, they've not just had a, such a wealth of music and musicians, but they had a recording industry. And I think that's so important, right. how big their recording industry was. So all those factors, I think having that industry there gives in history gives Brazil, gives us access to Brazil in this way that there's probably other places that had an amazing musical scene. Right. But we have less access to it in history. Arthur Farica wrote arrangements for other legendary artists such as Georges Ben, Gal Costa, Marcus Valle, and Quarteto MT. And as an arranger, Josh, what do you love most about the way he writes for orchestras as he's done on this album? The voicing is amazing. I think it, the combination, too, of how he kept it raw. And I, I do think that was some of his intention. On Cabo Clo, the first track, I was listening to an interview And he said, they did this whole record with four tracks and it was guitar, bass, drums on one, on tracks one and two, stereo, spread through the stereo. And then uh, the strings, maybe and the horns on one and the vocals on one. And then he's, he talks about getting access to 
what he imagines was the first synthesizer to make it to Brazil. He added that in the mix, like live. He played it mm. live in the mix and or whoever played it, played it live in the mix. And that blows me away because here you have this like amazing recording already. And and Verkai's like, oh, we need we need one more thing. It made me think all of a sudden of, of Timberland with Are You That Somebody's like, the song's done. It's incredible. No, we need a baby on it. <laughs> 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 you know, we, that's really yeah. what we need. Yeah. I was going to talk about this a little bit in the in the second half, but since you, Josh, where you're bringing this up now, I think especially because the first time we hear the use of the synthesizer is really in, within the first, maybe, I don't know, eight bars of the lead song off the album, um, Cabo Culo. And going into it, the f- I, don't think it, I don't think it comes right at the very, very beginning. It, it's, it, we waited maybe at least four or six bars in. So the opening sounds a lot like other Brazilian music of that era that I'm familiar with. But when the, synth- when the synthesizer comes in, I just remember thinking, Whoa, what the hell is this? Actually, I stand corrected. You actually hear it exactly from jump. Regardless, it's just the one music, it's the one sonic element I wasn't expecting. And it really just adds something ineffable to it. I agree 100%. I mean, that's what drew me and I'm sure countless other uh, contemporary listeners in right away. Yeah. It's such a move. And I don't think it, I think it's on Cabo Clo and I think that's it. I don't think it appears anywhere else on the record, mm, mm. but it puts such a mark on the record. Right. Along these lines, one of the things I was reading about Verakai, um, I mentioned earlier about some of the influences that he was getting from uh, stateside, and apparently he was listening to a lot of Charles Stepney's work, which makes total sense to me. And as as Heat Rock's listeners know, we have certainly sung Stepney's praises on multiple occasions on our show, um, especially with the work that he did um, on Minnie Ripperton's albums. And there was this moment, before I even had read about Verakai listening to Stepney, there was a moment on the song... Um, uh, Omapa that sounded so familiar to me and it took me a second to figure out why it sounded familiar uh, and it's because it sounds very Stepney-esque And to be sure, I'm sure Stepney was also drawing from very broad influences. So I'm, I'm assuming there was a very rich cross-pollination that was happening. 
But the, the, that quality of arrangement in the same ways that Stepney was so sophisticated in thinking about these different kinds of nuances, a lot of those same qualities are what I hear on this Verokai LP. And on that note, we'll be back with more of our conversation with Joshua Abrams on Arthur Verica's self-titled debut after a brief word from our Sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. We are the host of My Brother, My Brother, Me, and now nearly 10 years into our podcast, the secret can be revealed. All the clues are in place, and the world's greatest treasure hunt can now begin. Embedded in each episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me is a micro-clue that will lead you to 14 precious gemstones all around this big, beautiful blue world of ours. So start coming through the episodes. Uh, let's say starting at episode 101 on. Yeah, the early episodes are pretty problematic, so there's no clues in those episodes no no not at all the better ones the good ones clues ahoy listen to every episode repeatedly in sequence laugh if you must but mainly get all the great clues my brother my brother me it's an advice show kind of but a treasure hunt mainly anywhere you find podcasts or treasure maps my brother my brother me the hunt is on max fun drive 2021 is coming it'll be may 3rd to may 14th to get in the spirit, we ask folks like you to let us know what Maximum Fun and our shows mean to them. You know, the, the Maximum Fun Network is really important to me because it is not just a collection of podcasts, but it is a lifestyle and a value system. The podcasts frequently and deftly float between meaningful and irreverent, in one moment drawing attention to social issues, and in another making dick jokes about Klingons. It shouldn't work, but it does. And I have to believe it's because Max Fun's podcasts are, at their core, thoughtful and kind and human during a time that has often felt cold and isolated. So keep being great and doing what you do. Max Fun Drive will be May 3rd to May 14th, 2021, and you won't want to miss it. Brilliant apps, drive exclusive gifts, and maybe some surprises. Want to directly support the hosts of the show we just jumped into? Come back May 3rd for Max Fun Drive. We are back here on Heat Rocks talking about the self-titled album by Brazil's Arthur Verakai with producer and artist Joshua Abrams. What is the fire track off of this album if you had to pick one? It is a really difficult choice. For me, I have to go with Caboclo as my Heat Rock just because that was my first experience with the record. And as we've been talking about hearing those synth tones, it just drew me into the journey of the record. And I never get tired of hearing that song. Jocelyn, how about you? Namboga de Soul is it for me. You know, the way the horns come in on that track, they're just so undeniably strong mm. along with that bass line. And then you get the shift toward gentleness when the vocals and piano come in. You've got those strings just kind of seemingly floating in the air there and the presence of that flute that unifies everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
then at the end, the insistence of those drums as you get closer toward the resolution of the song, it's just amazing. All of those things just form one funky hole, and it's almost impossible not to nod your head along with it. You know, I catch myself trying to sing along to this song, even though I'm doing it phonetically, and and I'll say it. If it were possible for a human being to want to be a part in a song, I would probably want to be the bass line in Nabokata Soul. (laughs) I like that idea. (laughs) Oliver, how about you? I can't pick one, and I think partly it's because... I only started listing this album in the past week. And so it's a little early to try to pick my favorites, but it also goes back to what I was saying in the first half, which is that every single song on here is incredible. And if either of you had picked any of the songs as your fire tracks, I would have nodded and say, yeah, that makes total sense because, um, you know, how do you find something on here that seems inferior to anything else? Um, what I will say though is, and this goes back to something we were, we were talking about um, a few minutes ago about the opener on the album, Kabukulo is it is such a, a fantastic opener, right? And not to say that you couldn't have maybe used a different song on here to be the, the, the one, but regardless, this is how Arthur wanted it and it's what we got because it is this fascinating and alluring and inviting way of just transporting at least me as a listener into whatever it is that I'm about to get onto. And it, it there's kind of a reassurance that no matter what it is that we're dropping into it's going to we're going to be in for a good ride so um, i have a lot of love for that song whether or not it's going to be my fire track once i've spent like a year listening to this album i don't know Um, but you couldn't ask for a better opening song at least in terms of favorite moments we we were also talking about how every opening on this album is is incredible i feel like and so like one of my favorite moments so far sitting with it um, is that opening to uh naboko do sol and partly because it is this, it has this natural four bar loop, which you can understand why any hip hopper would be attracted to it because it sounds like it was made for that purpose. And so I think it, you know, it has this, it's an, it's an incredible opener on it. So it's certainly one of my favorite moments. Jocelyn, how about you? You know, it's the entirety of the track, Sylvia. And I know that's cheating to say that it's the whole track, but I'm going to do it. There is something intoxicating about the way the violins and the guitar open up throughout the course of that song. They're just both so seductive in their expansion. And when you pair that with that horn section, it's almost narcotizing. Mm. It's just really beautiful. And it sounds like a song that I would like to live in, for lack of a better way to put it. Mm. Josh, how about you? That's a that's a beautiful description, a song you'd like to live in. I love that. Um the decision it was very tough, and if I could take two, it would be uh, what you chose with Naboka do Sol. There's a moment where there's a kind of flute break in, kind of goes up in fourths and then back down, and that's one that always grabs my ear. 
As Oliver said in his intro, this whole album is a slow burner, but even slow burners can have slow burners on them. What song on here took you a little while to get into? It didn't take too long, but Omapa, The Mm. Map. The intro is so gorgeous, and uh, it's a beautiful song. Coming to Omapa now, again, looking at some of the lyrics, and, and nothing goes well or goes wrong, what map are my feet on? Mm. it's it's like (laughs) whoa yeah again this is bars you know bars but please forgive the (laughs) google translate so it's pretty uh raw but that it comes out this well only speaks to their depth jocelyn how about you do you have a slow burner off of here it would probably be karina uh domingo no grigel for me for some reason, I've always wondered if that track was meant to fall someplace else in sequence on the release that we know here in the States, as opposed to being the last track on the album. It's grown on me over time, but it's so vivacious. And I'm like, whoa, you saved this for the M? What's <laughs> happening here? Yeah. Um, but I, I do love that song, and it's it's special, too. I can't I can't think of, of any song on this album that I didn't love after more than two listens. What three words would you use to describe this album? Buy it now. (laughs) (laughs) That works. Well, before we cut, we always want to leave our audience with something dope to step to. So if you liked listening to us talk about the Arthur Verakai album and you've had a chance to hear some of the samples off of here, uh, we have some recommendations on what else you should check out next. Uh, I'm going to plug an album that, so I don't I don't have this Verakai album, but I do have one that he worked on, um, as I discovered in doing research, which is the uh, Ivan Lin's Agora album from 1971 which I read was one of the last albums that Verakai worked on before he went into work on his own album. And while um, Agora, I don't think is anywhere near as perfect as Verakai's debut was, you can certainly hear Verakai's influence all over it. And this album still has some absolute gems, uh, including one of my favorite songs off of here, uh, which is uh, called uh, Hey Voice. Jocelyn, how about you? Either of Celia's albums arranged by Arthur Verakai would be my pick here. Um, 
stateside, we're currently able to hear these releases as a package duo. It's a compilation called Successos M Doce Duplo. Uh, the compilation includes each of her self-titled albums, one released in 1970 and the other following closely behind in 1972. Um, the minute both releases start, you can tell that they were arranged by Verakai, and her voice is in the middle of it all, floating beautifully. The version of Naboka do Sol that appears here shares the bones of the version that we know, but it's understated and entirely different. Minha cidade do interior Tudo que chegou Chegou de trem Minha mãe olhando pra That's good. That's really good. You've even got some saxophone in there. I hear that back there. Josh, how about you? What what album would you like to tell people to check out? Maybe it's Gal Costa's India. I think Verakai worked on that too, and that's such a jam too. Well, that will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Joshua Abrams. What are you working on right now and where can people find you? So Natural Information Society has a new record that will be released in mid-April mm. called Dissension Out of Our Constrictions. And uh, that's on Aramite Records. If you're in Europe, it's also being released on Aguirre Records. Also, I have a project with... Uh, the amazing drummer and Mbira player, Chad Taylor. We have a duo called Mind Maintenance, and that record will be out on Drag City in uh, May. Well, Joshua Abrams, we were honored to have you as our guest today. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks for asking me to be on the show. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong. And me, Jocelyn Brown, sitting in for Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself, Morgan, and human Swiss army knife Christian Duenas, who also engineers and edits our show. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, normally taping live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. Though currently, we're all taping safe from home. If you have a spare minute and haven't already done so, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes as it is a key way that new audience members can find their way to our humble podcast. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HeatRocksPod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, heatrockspod.com. That's where we'll post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and other goodies. Again, that's at heatrockspod.com. Thanks for coming through, Jocelyn. Thank you for having me on. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.